All right. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Yakima Vineyard. We um, are going to be starting a new series that I'm actually super excited about. I'm hopefully hoping that it will encourage you and um, give some life and maybe, you know, kind of see there's been a lot of people, a lot of saints and people who have followed Christ before us and have um, gone through difficult times and come out of it with their faith even stronger than it was before. And so my hope is that as we go through this series, that you will um, see that, you know what, like our, our current troubled times are nothing new for the church, and they're nothing new for the people of God. And they're like no surprise to Jesus whatsoever. He knew all of what's currently happening was going to happen. And so he has already established for us a way through and for our faith to even increase and become stronger than it was before. I don't know if you guys, like I was kind of thinking about this a little bit um, with my lovely wife and I, we've been married 20 plus years. And, you know, some of our hard times are what made us draw closer. Like some of our difficulties with injury, with, you know, family members passing with difficulties with our son, you know, just different, different things that happen in your life. Like it actually makes you draw closer rather than push you away if you are committed to the relationship. And if we're committed to the relationship with Jesus, difficult times can actually cause us to grow closer to him than we ever were before because, you know, we lean not on our own understanding, Right. And so, like, if, I, if I'm like, okay, I lean not on my own understanding. God, I don't understand half the things that are going on right now. And so, Jesus, I need, I need to lean on you. I need to lean on your understanding because my own is not doing it. <laughs> my own is not enough. And so I need your understanding, God. Um, and so if we can do that, I, I feel like that will change us and, 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 and bring us to a new place of faith, a greater place of faith than we were before. Um, and so I'm hoping this series where, um, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Mother Teresa. We're going to talk about Corey Ten Boom. We're going to talk about Fanny Lee Hammer. We're going to talk about C.S. Lewis and, and all these people who have gone before us and, and are like made it through tough times. Um, what can we draw from that? What can we learn from them? So I want to pray. We're going to open up. Um, uh, I'm super excited about the topic this morning because I'm talking about C.S. Lewis, which, like, big surprise, I talk about him every week, right? You guys are sick of probably hearing about C.S. Lewis. But he's my, probably theologically, he's my, he's my number one dude. He's my greatest um, theological inspiration. Um, and so, yeah, I'm stoked. Anyway. Uh, I'll stop being a fanboy for just a second and pray, and then we'll jump back in. Lord Jesus, Father God, we need you. Lord, um, we're, we're facing some difficult times. Um, and Lord, even, even as we've seen this week, no matter um, uh, how much power and position you have, God, it won't necessarily protect you from, from disease, from sickness, from injury, from um, the things of this world that happen to us, God. And so, Lord, every single person throughout the world 
this morning, Jesus, who's, who's struggling with COVID, who's wrestling with economic insecurity, who is um, under the oppression of, of racism or, or anything like that, God, Lord, we just ask, Lord Jesus, would you be with them? Lord, would your spirit permeate them and cover them, Lord, each person, Lord, throughout the whole world right now, Jesus, who is who's wrestling um, with this God and with these different difficulties that we're facing, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you draw near to them? Lord, I speak healing, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I speak healing to anyone fighting sickness, to anyone fighting injury, from the, from the president to the person who is in the middle of South Africa and working in a field, God. It doesn't matter who, who we are or what position we hold. You love us the same, and you care for us the same, and you would have gone to the cross for us the same. And so, Lord, we pray for healing the same, God. Lord, would you heal? Would you lift your divine hand, God, and heal our nation and heal our world, Lord Jesus? We just thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we, we trust in you and say that we have faith in you, that you will do this, God. Amen. So I wanted to, I'm going to start with this quote, and I'm going to end with this quote, because this is my favorite one by C.S. Lewis. He says that I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. See, our faith, our who we know Jesus to be, should inform everything in our life. It should inform how we treat others. It should inform how we approach the world. It should inform our our politics. It should inform who we believe ourselves to be in our job. It should be what it should inform how we parent. It should inform how we treat our people that we see who are in need on the street. Our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, what scripture says should be our plumb line. It should be our guiding light. Jesus should be our North Star. The gospel of Jesus Christ should permeate every single aspect of our lives. Every bit of who we are and who we want to be should be informed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus's name should be lifted up in our lives. There's this quote by St. Francis of Assisi that says, I preach Christ at all times and when necessary, I use words. Our lives should be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what Lewis is saying here is I don't just see Christianity, but rather Christianity like the sun allows me to see everything else. We can see in this room right now because of the sun. If you notice, there's no lights on. It's just the sun. And it's allowing us to see everything around us. And the gospel of Jesus Christ should be like the sun, where that is what is illuminating everything we see and do. And that's my hope this morning. That's one of the main points I hope you get out of this morning, is for Lewis, everything, everything was informed by Christianity. So I'm going to be reading some things because I don't have, of course, C.S. Lewis's life story memorized. So you'll have to bear with me as I'm reading. Clive Staple Lewis, born November 28th in 1898 in Belfast, Ireland. Good Irish boy. 
November 22nd, he died in 1963 in Oxford, Oxfordshire, England. He was an Irish-born scholar, novelist, and author of about 40 books. And aside from those books, he wrote a whole bunch of essays, too, and gave a whole bunch of speaking engagements. So he was very prolific. Many of them were on Christian apologetics, including the Screwtape Letters and Mere Christianity. For myself, I read two books every single year. Every January, I begin to read Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, because I believe the spiritual disciplines are super important. And I read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, because his approach to the general, like to faith in general, he hits like every kind of major topic of our Christian walk in the book Mere Christianity. And for me, it's just a good reminder every year of like pressing into God and then also theologically, what is it that I believe? What is it about Christianity that I believe in and that I trust? So I'm going to give you a little background about Lewis. The death of Lewis's mother, while he was still young at age nine, kind of ended the settled happiness that he had in his childhood. He describes his loss of security in the imagery that the great continent had sunk like Atlantis. I love that image. Like, I had this beautiful city and suddenly it sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Now, he only had small islands of joy in an unsettled sea, is how he describes what happened when his mom passed away. Tragically, when Lewis's mother died, he, in effect, lost his father as well. His father just couldn't cope. His father couldn't engage. His, his dad couldn't handle the loss of his wife, and it affected him profoundly. Um, they even sent him to boarding school. And Lewis talks about that they called his headmaster Oldie, and he was an abusive headmaster at this boys' boarding school. He was later certified as having been insane and put in an asylum. And that's who his headmaster was at this boys' boarding school. And like, so this was C.S. Lewis's early life, right? He had a lot of tragedy. He had a lot of difficulty to overcome. And then he had more later. But at age 17, Lewis wrote to his longtime friend, Arthur Greaves, I believe in no religion. There's absolutely no proof for any of them. And from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. This was Lewis at 17. Lewis came to believe in the meaninglessness of life. If you've ever studied nihilism, if you've ever studied, you know, some of the, the writings of Tolstoy and some others, you know, this, this dark kind of um, atheist, um, nihilistic, like, you know, life is meaningless. You know, all that matters is entropy, that we're in the constant process of decay, and at one point we will die. And that's all there is to life. And Lewis kind of found himself in this, in this place, and largely it was due to tragedy in his life. The tragedy in his life made him basically believe that, you know, if there's a God, then he must hate me. If there is a God, why would he allow these things to happen? If there's truly a God, and so because I can't believe in a God who would be so evil and a God who would be so wrong, I, there just must be no God, was where he landed. Lewis just came to believe in the meaninglessness of life and that we need to build our lives. Here's how he built his life. He said, I wanted to build my life on the basis of unyielding despair. That would be rough. 
And But we've probably all been there at some point, right? I know I have before, where it's just like all I can see around me is darkness. And so I'm just going to own that darkness. That's where Lewis was at. Lewis said, his way of stating it was, nearly all I loved, I believed to be imaginary. And nearly all that I believed to be real, I thought was grim and meaningless. In 1917, Lewis left his studies to volunteer for the British military during World War I. Sorry, I, yeah, there was First World War. Uh, he was commissioned into the 3rd Battalion of Somerset, Somerset Light Infantry. Lewis arrived at the front lines of the Somme Valley in France on his 19th birthday. At 19, he experienced trench warfare in World War I. On April 15th, 1918, he was wounded, and two of his colleagues next to him were killed by a British shell, not from the enemy, by a British shell falling short of its target. Um, what I don't have in here is Lewis was also injured in that. He carried that injury through his whole life. He had a piece of shrapnel in his leg that was there for his whole life. But what really affected him was that he lost friends. Lewis suffered from depression and homesickness during his convalescence because this trench warfare was so brutal and two of his friends were killed right next to him and he was injured. And remember, this was during the time when he was an atheist and he like had no belief in God. And so he's like, well, this is just part of my life, right? Life is pain. Life is darkness. So he, since he was stuck at home, he began to read. Remember, he's 19 years old. Lewis once said to remain a good atheist. One has to be very careful as to what you allow yourself to read. I love that statement. To remain a good atheist, you have to be very careful as to what you allow yourself to read. Atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole of the universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. I love that, that statement. If the whole of the universe has no meaning, we should have never found that out. We shouldn't know that it has no meaning. For it to have meaning, there must be a purpose. On the intellectual side of things, C.K. Chesterton had a significant influence on Lewis. He read The Everlasting Man, and he appreciated Chesterton's humor. He was surprised by the power of his presentations, and he began to feel that Christianity was very sensible apart from its Christianity. So he talks about how, like, reading Chesterton, he's like, there's this brilliant, intelligent man who I'm reading who has a deep faith, and how can he have this deep faith if it's so meaningless? He's like, how can this intelligent man be so drawn to the belief of Jesus Christ? But... In practice, he saw Christianity, and he's like, but it doesn't, he couldn't make that connection until later. We're continuing the story. These are the early parts of Lewis's life. On top of this, some of the brightest, most intelligent of his peers at Oxford were what he termed supernaturalists. People like Neville Coghill, Hugo Dyson, and J.R.R. Tolkien, some of you may have heard of him. I know I have. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien were kindred spirits, and they were all Christians. One by one, the arguments that were obstacles to his faith 
were removed. Fifteen years after he wrote that first letter to his friend Arthur, he wrote this. Christianity is God expressing himself through what we call real things, namely the actual incarnation, the actual crucifixion, and the actual resurrection. He went from being a complete atheist and nihilist to believing in a literal, incarnate, divine Jesus who walked the earth among his peers and who eventually gave his life and then rose again. It was a profound change in C.S. Lewis. It was a profound change. Once, while riding a bus in Oxford, Lewis had the sense, and maybe some of you have felt this before, Lewis had the sense that he was holding something at bay or he was shutting something out. And he could either open the door or let it stay shut. He said, but to open the door meant the incalculable. He finally submitted himself to God. And he said, I was the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. He's like, the last thing I wanted to do was believe in Jesus Christ, but I just couldn't help myself. The reality of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so powerful to him on that bus ride that he could no longer deny Jesus. Can you feel that? I feel that. Like, even as strongly as he was fighting God, even with all of the tragedy he had in his young life, he's like, but you know what? I can't help myself. Jesus is real. Like, I can't get away from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you feel that presence of the Holy Spirit right now. You can sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Listen to that voice, just as Lewis listened to that voice. Even if you fight it, there's this other time, I don't have it in my notes, but Jesus referred to God as the hound of heaven and that he was a rabbit who kept trying to run away, but God kept scenting him and kept chasing after him. Like he couldn't get away from God. And I have this sense, just again, I'm feeling this from the Holy Spirit in this moment. I have this sense that there's some of you who have been maybe chasing away from God. And you need to know that the Lord, as Lewis refers to him, is the hound of heaven. And he's got your scent. And he's going to keep coming after you. And even no matter how hard and how far away you run from him, he's going to keep coming for you because he loves you and he cares about you and he wants you to be one of his kids. Amen. This belief in God that occurred, it happened in 1929. But it wasn't until 1931 that he really surrendered himself to Christ. It took a couple of years. He was a pretty staunch atheist. The greatest tragedy, as said by C.S. Lewis, of his life was the loss of his wife, Joy Davidman, to cancer in 1960. He loved her so deeply. Like, I'll get to it, but or, yeah, I guess it's in this note, but he wrote a whole book. He wrote a whole book about his grief at losing his wife. Like, that's the depth of which he loved her and cared for her. After her death, he wrote this book, A Grief Observed. 
He, one of the statements he says in here is, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. Grief felt so like fear. Has anyone else ever felt that? I've felt that. I remember being a young man. I was getting ready to go on my first missions trip overseas. I was like 19 years old. Yeah, I was 19. And uh, my great-grandmother, who I was very close to, her name was Matilda Geisy. Everybody called her Tilly, my great-grandma. And and I spent a lot of time with her because both my parents worked, and so they dropped me at my great-grandma's house. And I was super close to her. I was getting ready to go on this mission trip, and and she passed away. And I I didn't want to (laughs) go. Like, I just wanted to stay home and grieve. Like, I was so... I remember when she was dying, and I went and visited her in the hospital. And um, I was holding her hand, and I was talking to her. And at this point, she was so sick that she was delusional. Um, And she kept telling me to ask the doctor who was standing next to her to give her some medicine for the pain because it hurt so bad. Um, It was an IV stand. But she was sure it was the doctor. Um, And I held it together really, really good. This is, again, I'm a 19-year-old guy, right? Okay, you know, pretty, you know, I was athletic, did lots of sports. I was pretty, you know, non-emotional most of my life um, until I got old. But, um, you know, at that point I was, and like I made it to my car and I got in my car and I grabbed my sunglasses and I put on my sunglasses and I freaking lost it. Like I just... There was, like, if somebody had walked by, all they would see in my head was, like, this giant puddle of snot, you know. If you've ever seen Spaceballs, like, Pizza the Hut is probably what I look like. But, I mean, I was just a mess because my heart was broken at the pain she was in. And wasn't even losing her so much. I was so afraid of her being in pain. And it's that, that grief that he talks about, that deep grief. It was fear. Like, I was so afraid of, of how badly she was hurting. I actually felt better once she passed, to be honest. Um, but that grief was so real for me. In a grief observed, Lewis's book about the loss of his wife, he actually p- published it posthumously. And he doesn't start off with any satisfaction. So under N.W. Clark in 1961. And then later, a couple of years later, they're like, no, we're just going to let this thing be raw. And they actually said, actually, this was Lewis who wrote the book. And then it, it gained a lot of fame. But his publishers were afraid because this book was so full of pain and so raw. Uh, here we go. Lewis said, when you are happy, he says, so happy that you have no sense of needing him. So happy that you are tempted to feel his claims on you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and you turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it seems, welcomed with open arms. 
when you're happy, God becomes kind of an inconvenience. Is it kind of in the way? But go to him when your need is desperate. When all other help is vain, and what do you find? He writes in a grief observed. A door slammed in your face, and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. Lewis here is speaking about his struggle with God. He's like, God, I hurt so bad, and you're not fixing it. Why aren't you fixing this? That's where he was at as he was writing in Grief Observed. Lewis calls pain God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Apparently, we were pretty muted. Apparently, we weren't listening because there's a whole lot of pain going on in our country and in our world right now. And apparently, God felt that we needed a really big megaphone because we weren't listening to what he was trying to tell us as to how we're supposed to serve him and serve others. I don't think we were listening very well. We were pretty happy wrapped up in our little comfort. So God pulled out the megaphone. We must have ears to hear and the want to trust. If we don't, we won't work through the pain. And we won't see his plan through it. God knows our suffering. And he promises us that we're going to experience it. He tells us, Jesus says, you will have times of trouble. But as we get closer to Jesus, we learn. It changes us. We become more dependent on him. And he promises to be with us every step of the way. Not that he's going to remove pain from our lives, but that he'll walk alongside us and he'll be with us. At the end of Grief Observed, Lewis concludes that much like Job, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew what the quality of my love and my faith was already. It was I who didn't understand my love and my faith. He knew it. In this trial, he makes us occupy the dock and the witness box and the bench all at once. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards, Lewis says. And his only way of making me realize the fact was to knock it down. Paul says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's death is truth, that our pain is not dismissed by a God who cannot feel. Jesus on the cross says to us, me too. Jesus was rejected by friends. Jesus was rejected by family. Jesus was killed by his own people. Jesus understands our pain and our trouble and our trials because it happened to him. And he says, me too. I want to end with a few, or not quite end, we're close, but a few of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. This one's my favorite outside of the Christianity being the sun one. I, I, this one has been formative to me, um, and I actually used it at my grandma's funeral because um, it meant so much to me. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one 
Not even an animal, not even a pet can take your love. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. That's what God calls us to. He calls us to be vulnerable. He asks us to step out for the sake of the gospel and possibly be hurt because of it, to love God and to love others. It's really easy, and I am the chief sinner in this. I will admit to, I am super good at, like, keeping myself entertained. Like, I have a black belt in keeping myself entertained. Like, I can totally, like, just ignore everything and just be in my own little world. I really can. But what am I doing? And who am I serving other than myself? And that's why he's talking about those hobbies and luxuries, those entanglements. Next one. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want religion to make you really feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Preach. (laughs) Right? Christianity calls for us to take up our cross daily. Right? Christianity calls for us to serve the poor and the needy and those in want. Christianity calls us to live a life with character. There's much easier religions out there to follow than Christianity. Problem is they're just not true because there's no Jesus. And we need Jesus. And Jesus is the only thing that will change us and make us whole. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. I'm going to say that again. The Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. You know, a lot of times in the church I've heard, God takes us as we are, and he loves us too much to leave us there. And I believe that to be true. I know it's true in my own life. Imagine your next quote by Lewis. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, he's stopping the leaks in your roof, and so on. And you knew that these jobs needed doing. And so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably, and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting in an extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards, and you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. 
See, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, our Father in heaven, are too big and too vast, and there is too much of them to exist in the little cottages that we want for ourselves. And so God has to remake us. God has to change us. We have to go through some pain and some hurt and some struggle and some trial so that he can reform us and, may, and let, allow the potter who is God to form us into what it is that we're supposed to be. And sometimes it hurts. But we want Jesus to live there. And so Jesus isn't satisfied with our little cottage. He wants you to be a palace. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Something about a plank in the eye and judge not lest ye be judged. We could keep going on with what Lewis is referring to by Jesus. And Lewis writes this in The Weight of Glory. I love this one. In The Problem of Pain, Lewis writes, Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain. But it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden it's easier to say, my tooth is aching, than my heart is broken. This is still true today, is it not? Anybody who's wrestled with, with struggling with mental health or depression or, or, or things like, you know, it's like, I, I can deal with, I've had lots of physical injuries in my life. I'm pretty good at hurting myself. It's not on purpose, but it happens. I'm clumsy. Or actually, I'm not clumsy so much as like I'm unaware of my body. Like I just throw myself into things and I don't really think about what I'm doing. I just do it. And so I hurt myself. I can honestly truly say I would way rather have a broken bone or a sprained something or a cut or a burn than I would deep mental emotional pain. Like, give me physical pain any day. I can deal with that. But, like, mental, emotional pain is so much harder. But we have to have, as Lewis is referring to, we have to have the freedom to share with others. And in the church, we've done a really crappy job of this, of allowing people to have struggles mentally, emotionally. We've done a really, really bad job. Oh, we'll pray for physical healing all day. But if somebody's struggling mentally, emotionally, like, uh... Where's the joy of the Lord? Isn't it your strength? Like, what kind of garbage is that? We have to do better. And Lewis is referring to that here. It should be just as okay to say my heart is broken as it is I'm, you know, I'm, I broke my arm. We have to make those things on par. We have to make those things equal. Continue on. A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him, then a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. I love that one. We cannot diminish the glory of God. I want to end where I started. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, 
I see everything else. That's Lewis from the weight of glory. I want to pray, and then I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Lord, like the sun, when it's directly overhead and shining on us, would you cover every aspect of our being? Lord, we need your warmth. We need your light. Lord, we know through physics, through science, that that all energy that we have here on the earth originated in the sun. And Lord, for us, as followers of Jesus, Lord, all of our spiritual energy and purpose must originate from you. And Lord, may we allow your illumination, the truth of your gospel, the truth of scripture, the truth of your word, Lord Jesus, may that inform all of who we are. May we, like Lewis, Lord God, if we've been struggling with with you and we've been wrestling with you, Lord, would you bring us around, Lord God, to the truth of who you are, where we cannot run away from the fact that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, that Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through you. Jesus, be our light, be our love, be our guiding North Star, God. Jesus, we thank you for this. Lord, I thank you for for Clive. I thank you for the life that he led. I thank you that he chose to share with us um, his thoughts. Lord, Lord, I thank you that at 19 years old, he didn't die in that trench with his buddies. Lord, I kept coming back to as I was putting this together, like, what if that bomb had killed C.S. Lewis? Like, what a tragedy that war would have brought. And who knows how many C.S. Lewis's did die. So, Lord, we thank you for sparing him and for allowing him to share his faith with us so that, as Paul said, we could walk along following him as he follows you. So, Lord, I I pray that we can take some of the truths that Lewis shared, Lord God, and incorporate that into our own lives, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen.